Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm currently in a state of contemplation and deep thought right now. It's been an eventful week. Probably shouldn't have put an interview right in the middle instead of a regular episode. In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D. Bring the noise. On the Fifth End Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances, or a good two weeks in the circumstances, because as you may well be aware, dropped an interview last week instead of a regular episode. Shout out to Mystic, of course. Uh, one of my favorite interviews so far. Really, really enjoyed all of that. And... Um, it was recently her birthday, I think yesterday or a couple of days ago. So happy belated birthday um, to Mystic as well. And um, yeah, it's been a week. It's been a couple of weeks for me personally. Um, uh, the reason why I pop that episode in instead of a regular episode, usually I do a regular episode and then, you know, drop an interview after. But instead, um, just for the sake of time, because uh, last week I had just a lot on. Um, I was hit, I've, in the past seven days, um, well, the past week, because it's dropping on, this is dropping on Thursday, so since, uh, since Tuesday, um, I have been to five shows in seven days, and on top of that, just, um, you know, kicking it with people and doing other things outside the house as well, just been a lot, it's been a lot, um, so I've just been very active elsewhere. Uh, work-wise as well, doing some work there, and I got that sorted, and um, yeah, it's just, uh, just paddle on. Um, so the Mystic interview came at a very good time, we recorded early March, and I said I was going to drop it around, this, around well, the time I dropped it, and it was just a perfect timing for me to do so. Um, but yeah, man, I just hit up a ton of shows, and I thought, you know, drop it then. Uh, speaking of the shows, I'm going to get into it a little bit, um, drop that what dropped uh went to see firstly i saw patrice russian again i uh, saw her across the tracks last year and uh saw her again uh, uh at the jazz cafe um she was there for a few day a couple of days doing a couple of shows i went to the, her matinee which was um very good uh, the fact that um i could be home before 11 is beautiful i love that <laughs> um uh but yeah man i i got there late um unfortunately um and uh it's a it's a weird thing because usually um, when doors open uh, for a th- excuse me for a show, uh, it's usually about 40, 45 minutes at minimum um, until something is actually happening because you know they open the doors so people can you know get drinks in you know and obviously in the jazz cafe sense um, also get a meal in all that stuff right so I get it right. Um, but I'm not trying to wait all day. <laughs> um, so, you know, I got I was planning to get there about half an hour after doors open. Um, instead, I got there around... Uh, well, actually, I got there. Did I get there around half the way? No, I, you know, I got there. I got there about 50 minutes, about 50 minutes out. So uh, I thought I'd... I knew I'd miss a bit, but I didn't realise I'd miss literally nearly 20 minutes, 25 minutes, apparently, according to someone I asked. Um, so, yeah, that was crazy. 
Um, I got a crap spot because I was late. Um, I guess you got a fine um, because I ordered the wrong train ticket. So I have to appeal that. That's going to be fun to put that in writing or fill out a form for it. I forget what uh, which is which, but um, yeah, I'm going to have to sort that out at some point. Hope to do it sometime in the weekend. That'll be fun. Send that by post. Yay. Can't do it by phone, but you could pay the fine on phone, of course. But you can't uh, you can't send the uh, can't make an appeal on phone, of course, because uh, because that's too easy, right? You have to have to go through hoops if you want to get money back. Um, but yeah, that was fun. Um, but then after that, uh, on Thursday, last Thursday, um, I saw Tiggs the author and also Cristel, um, amazing up and coming artist um, in the UK scene. She mainly does drill, but she does a lot of good other th- other things as well, other genres as well. Um, but her drill is just top tier she does some fucking good drill like <laughs> she dropped she um she did an unreleased track um uh, in her performance and the bass was crazy oh my gosh if it oh. i recorded it on my phone but it just doesn't do it justice it just doesn't do it justice it was outstanding um i was also i had to, I, I initially had three shows i was gonna hit and those were the two those were two of the three um, but then I hit two more shows. Um, so one of them was uh, Rose Windross, um, who was, is, well, was a member of uh, Soul to Soul way back in the beginning um, and has a res- residency out in the Lounge Jazz, ca- uh, lounge jazz Club, uh, which is based in Mayans, um, in a really weird spot. One of those industrial roads, you know what I mean, where you just turn in, you just know you've gone to a wrong turn in. Um, it's it's like in the same place as like you know just them warehousey looking spots and it just doesn't look right to be there. Um, but it is a nice place inside. Um, went to see Rose Windross and uh, yeah, she was very entertaining. Um, it was one of those kind of shows um for for the for the old for the more mature crowd. I will admit, I did take my pops there for um his uh, birthday. Um, and also brought uh brought through my boy D and uh, his girl Mary as well. Just you know, just to see if I wanted to nail it down. Um, so yeah, it was it was good. It was a nice affair. It was really nice. Um, had a little bit of a boogie, you know what I mean? Uh, Rose poured us poured me a couple of drinks. <laughs> um, the bar gave her some brandy, and she was just like going around singing. And uh, who wants brandy? Who wants brandy? And, and me and Dee were just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Give me give me some of that. Um, so that was fun. That was really good. Um, the second show um, was uh, Tuesday. Um, I was uh, seeing Echoes and uh, Erica. Um, Echoes, I, I've I interviewed actually, and this is so poetic. I actually interviewed Echoes um, six years to the day before um, before her show um, at Lalo, and um, I just I didn't realise it was that close to an anniversary, and it was just. It was a soap awake. Um, if it was on the day, right on the smack bang on the day, that would have been crazy. But it was the day before, and um, she was just outstanding. She's uh, she's amazing. Um, she does her own. She she makes her own clothes for the shows, and um, I, I mean this is no better time to gas it right now. But uh, when I there's just hit up my photography site and just uh, and and just uh, just wait, just wait. There's gonna be some crazy heat. Coming from these shows, by the way, the only ones I didn't take pictures of was Patrice Russian, and that's just because I, f- I was in a crap spot and I didn't feel like I'd get good photos from it, um, so I just didn't bother. But if you hit up CRT-photography 
carbonmade one word carbonmade.com in a cut let's just say let's just say in a couple of weeks I'm, I'm i'll guess it on the show um in 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 the next episode next couple of episodes but um jesus christ the photos i got of echoes in her dress she looked absolutely fucking i mean goddess-like is literally the word it's it's literally the vibe she was going for and she nailed it in spade it was adorned in all white contrasting with her black skin it was absolutely amazing and her music's great as well just to say <laughs> just to say her music's great as well also on top of that um she's dropping a project uh, she's dropping a kind of like a video project so to speak um in anticipation for her new single uh, how to run uh, which is dropping this friday and um i'm part of it um she asked me to record something um asking answering the question what would you do if you weren't afraid and uh, she's she's split into two parts because, yeah. Um, so that, that that was that was good. She dropped um she actually dropped as I record today on Wednesday, so that was cool. Um, and uh, yeah. So and the last show was on Monday, and that was uh, Lakeisha Benjamin, um, amazing saxophonist, saxophonist, how do you want to say it, uh, from from the states, and her energy is just crazy she has just amazing energy uh just uh going through when she's playing she's like shouting at her bandmates like when they're going off she's like yes and uh yeah she just has really a really youthful energy about her and uh it's really uh intoxicating it really is um so she drops an album called phoenix i think in february or january um so i was in anticipation of that and it was the first time she played tracks from that album uh in the uk and she's currently touring europe as well so uh big ups to her and yeah i'm gonna have photos of all of these people apart from patrice russian um coming through on my site so be on the lookout for that i'm gonna drop updates on here as well whenever i get to them um and yeah man that's been my that's been my <laughs> that's been the reason why i haven't done a show in two weeks um i also had like a really just deep conversation just now and um that's why it's left me in the deep contemplative thought um, but that's for another day alright let's jump into the show 10 minutes usually try not to go over two min- uh, 10 minutes with the intros but here we are uh, it's been it's been two weeks since uh, shouldn't have left you without a dope pod to step to but then again I did leave you the dope pod to step to, step to so you know it's not like I didn't um, but anyway let's go on with the actual show we have a politics tech and two life segments for this episode formatties before we begin email socials, writing, all that in the full show notes, as well as the music and other podcasts under the 5EPN. Recently finished our Women's History Month celebrations on Digging Digits. Go spin that. And also Insert a Source dropped last week as well. Um, that was good stuff as well. So go give those a spin as well as the other pods. And with that said, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where World Athletics bans transgender women from competing in international track and field competitions. Um, yeah, that whole thing does not lead to nuanced conversations. Let's just say that. For one thing, the fact that people keep putting Casta Semenya, um, who is a woman, assigned female at both, at birth, um, and also likes of Francine Nionsaba and Christine, Christine Mboma 
the fact that they keep putting them on like the feature images of these articles, think pieces and tweets and shit like that is just wrong because they're not transgender women. Um, yeah. So the whole thing is just not nuanced at all. France says multiple protests go violent after Macron's uh, forced pension age rise. Um, and I think he also survived a vote of confidence as well. Jonathan, oh, this is disappointing. Jonathan Majors is arrested in New York for alleged assault. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a crazy just state of affairs. Um, apparently the acting community um, was uh, aware of it. But um, obviously, you know, as you, you never know who's going to blow up. And yeah, it's just uh, crazy. TikTok CEO is uh, grilled for over five hours uh, by the US Congress. That was kind of interesting. And Hamza Youssef uh, wins the Scottish National Party leadership contest. Big up to him. Still wants independence. My anarchist brain is being fed off that. All right, let's jump into this. So, Boris Johnson's in the news again. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So... I was I was just thinking I was just thinking as um as he's been in uh, in the news for the past couple of weeks talking about Partygate and he released his own report or some shit like that and then he got grilled by some MPs again and stuff like that and he's been investigated and he's like I did nothing claiming innocence again lying again but instead of talking about all that, because we know he's a liar, we we know all this, this is old news, this doesn't need to be in the news cycle, it's clogging up the news cycle, but you know what should be in the news cycle? This headline here from Open Democracy, written by Seth Tevoz, or Tevoz. how Boris Johnson raked in £5 million in six months after leaving office. How about that? 25 k a day, and outside earnings since he left Downing Street. Let's talk about that. So here you go, Boris Johnson. If you want attention, here's your attention. Let's talk about this instead, all right? Let's do it. Let's get right to it. Boris Johnson's outside earnings have now hit 5 million in the six months since he left office, new figures suggest. His latest disclosures, which came as he was grilled by MPs over Partygate, show he billed over half a million pounds from just two speeches in the last two weeks before deductions, Johnson also earns 84000 a year, a salary as an MP. Outside earnings totaled £4.985 million. That's over £25,000 a day since he left Downing Street. He also received some £1.1 million in donations for his MP's office. The bulk of... Because, you know, Uxbridge needs, needs that. Um, Uxbridge is definitely getting that kind of money, yeah? yeah. But it's just him, obviously. It's just his office. Like, he needs... He, every MP needs 1.1 million for their office. <laughs> Whatever the fuck that means. The bulk of it consisting of a 1 million uh, pound donation from Thailand-based business tycoon and exit party donor Christopher Harborn. He, he also has 85k a year's worth of free office space and bills all provided by investors in Private Capital Limited, the firm of property developer and Tory party donor Jamie Rubin. In January, Johnson received a £2.5 million advance from the Harry Walker Agency in New York for his future speaking engagements. This was after he made more than one mil for giving four speeches booked throughout the agency, booked through the agency between October and December 2022. He also takes speaker bookings directly through his office. 
And uh, if you guys haven't seen the new uh, Led by Donkeys uh, video campaign, uh, where they basically got um, several MPs um, to uh, basically sign up to this fake company um, in terms of, um, you know, giving them, excuse me, giving them money for, you know, engagement and, uh, and going to these, going to certain meetings. I think it's like advisory role or something like that. And, um, and of course, the likes of Matt, Matt Hancock and Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, the noble names that were, that were actually into it. Um, Gavin Williamson was into it, but then I think rejected it upon the first interview, upon the first hurdle. Um, but yeah, look up Led by Donkeys. Um, definitely give those a spin because those are just outstanding. They never miss. Um, but this adds to it, in my view. Johnson speaking fees have seen him jetting to Lisbon, Mumbai, New Delhi, New York, Pennsylvania, Singapore, and Washington, D.C. to speak to corporate clients. They include Brand Finance PLC. The names of these companies are so fucking vanilla. It's so crazy. Like, Money Bank. <laughs> it's just so... Oh, they're so basic. Brand Finance PLC. What the fuck do they do? The Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. All right. Investment Bank Centerview Partners. The Hindustan Times. Law firm Kessler Topaz. Meltzer and Czech. Software giant Parallel Chain Lab. Portuguese TV channel Televisão Independent. Independente Property Developer Ballymore Group Indian Conglomerate The Aditya Billa Group And Bloomberg Singapore The latest figures show how Johnson's 2.5 million advance works Two speeches, each listed as Involving 7 or 7.5 Hours of work for preparation, travel And delivery, have each billed Over 260,000, although Over 180,000 for each speech Has been deducted by the agency as being Covered by the advance leaving the former PM with £158,000. This suggests Johnson's advance covers around a f- around 14 quarter of a million pound speeches and could see over £1.1 million come in on top of the advance. He has also received 36000 of free hospitality at UK airports with his entourage enjoying the hospitality of either the Windsor Suite at Heathrow Airport or the Sussex Suite at Gatwick Airport at least 20 times. In January, Johnson also reported a £510,000 advance from HarperCollins for his memoirs. Because, of course, you know, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's another moneymaker. That's, that's the guaranteed moneymaker. The memoir, yeah. Or, yeah. I've done that before. I've, said, I've talked about that before. Prime, prime case of failing up. Advances are usually paid in several installments, prompting speculation that Johnson has signed a book deal that could earn, earn him up to £6 million. <laughs> Oh my god, this fucking country, this fucking system. Oh, it just does my night in. Alright, an earlier, an earlier 88,000 payment. This is just, just the numbers are just stacking up here. Uh, payment for a book on Shakespeare was paid by Hodder and Stoughton, reportedly part of a £500,000 advance, but several years later the book has still not appeared. However, new figures show that last month Johnson took a further £42,500 advance. From Hodder and Stoughton, suggesting work may have resumed. <laughs> Nobody's going to read it. I mean, not many people are going to read it because I, I, I literally don't know who these people are that buy memoirs from politicians. I, apart from journalists, I just don't get it. I don't get why the fuck you'd read leisurely read it. It just doesn't make sense to me. 
um, all the juice goes out during the radio interviews and all the reviews anyway. So you basically read the book if you read a couple of reviews. So what's the point? Uh, anyway, Johnson's writings have often netted him huge sums of money. Until he became foreign secretary in 2016, Johnson was a star columnist for the Daily Telegraph, earning him to over as of 250000 a year, which he famously described as chicken feed in 2009. Of course he did. Last October, a month after leaving office, the office of Boris Johnson Limited was set up by Shirley Walkins, Williams Walker and then, have, uh, and then taken over by Anne Siddle. Both women have been long-term Johnson aides. Wow, what a what a role to be in. Johnson ran into financial troubles. Oh no, while he was Prime Minister. Oh no, despite his £164,000 salary and a pattern emerged uh, of party donors covering his expenses. The most high profile was the Cash for Curtain scandal. Johnson nearly exhausted a £30,000 public grant that could be spent each year on the Prime Minister's 11 Downing Street residents uh, by spending two, 28k just on paint and sandpapering floorboards. Uh, that left an outstanding bill of 52k for uh, the luxury refurb of the flat, which he paid first by an off-the-books bridging loan from the Conservative Party, and then by an undeclared 67,000 uh, loan from the company of Tory donor Lord Brownlow in October 20, uh, 2020. 52,000 of that in bills, and a further 15,000 for quote-unquote an event, according to the regulator. In addition the, to the 67000 Lord Brownlow has paid, uh, also paid a further uh, 59k for Johnson's Downing Street redecoration bills directly to the suppliers. Jesus Christ, how much of there is this? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Okay, right, we're not, we're not far off, we're not far off. We're, we're nearly getting there. This is stupid, this is actually crazy. <laughs> just how much money he just gets, just for, just for anything. He just gets money, just gets given money all the fucking time. The Electoral Commission ended up issuing fines of 17,800 uh, to the Conservatives and 16,250 to Lord Brownlow's company, criticising Tory Party for, quote, a lack of regard for the law, unquote, in these arrangements. Shortly after a cash for curtain, uh, shortly, after, shortly after cash for curtains uh, became public in 20, February 21, Johnson paid back 52,000 himself. It's still not been established where the money for this came from. He recently emerged. Prime, well, I mean, he clearly gets money. Clearly, he's got the money, right? <laughs> he's got the money to pay it off tenfold. Uh, he recently emerged that as Prime Minister Johnson had undisclosed a hundred thousand pound credit facility from his mini uh, millionaire Canadian cousin Sam Blythe, uh, which or Blith, uh, which was arranged in December 2020. Johnson also took several free holidays while he was running the country, uh, with the cost costs met by friends Zach Goldsmith a close family friend who Johnson made a peer and minister 2019 lent Johnson his villa near Marbella Spain in 2021 the value of the free holiday not disclosed before that he took a December 2019 holiday to Mystique uh, funded by Tory donor David Ross an ethics investigation cleared all parties of any impropriety but criticised the haphazard arrangements Johnson also received £27,000 of luxury organic food deliveries for 8 months hand-delivered to Downing Street by the butler of billionaire Tory uh, donor Lord Bamford. Big up the butler of, of Lord Dam Bamford, Tory donor. Johnson was reportedly given the food at cost price of under 19k, but never declared the 8,000 subsidy. Several of the former Prime Minister's suits were also paid for by Lord Bamford, chair of the JCB Construction Company, according to Private Eye. Big up Private Eye. Since Johnson left down the street, Lord and Lady Bamford have also been providing concessionary use of accommodation for these XP. 
this is crazy. How, this is just. I'm gonna stop here. There's like a couple of paragraphs left, but it's just, it's just too much. It's just, I think I've made my point. You know what I mean? He's a he's he's a twat. Like <laughs> he's just a twat that just keeps getting given money for no fucking reason apart from when they need him. That's the that's the deal, right? If if they're in any trouble, Boris has their back. And that's what it is. This whole thing is just a fucking one big circle jerk. In some way. You're jerking somebody off. But somebody's jerking you off at the same time. Don't you worry. Right. There's there's always reciprocation for these fuckers man. Always. And um, that's just outstanding. Just outstanding. And that's just one of them. That's just, that's just Boris Johnson. I wonder what kind of shit Jacob Rees-Mogg gets. I wonder what kind of fucking jerking that Michael Gove gets. Oh, these people must get some fucking prime money for doing fuck all. Even Liz Trust, the fucking dipshit, probably still gets money now. It's fucking outstanding. It's really, really outstanding. And hopefully, the next time I talk about Boris Johnson is when he gets indicted with something. Let's hop into tech, and uh, we're talking about TikTok in some fashion. Um, this is obviously related to TikTok, um, and uh, be cut and being talked about because of TikTok. Um, but I feel like this is a topic that could have been talked about at any point in time. Doesn't have to be the fact that TikTok is um, obviously just um, being uh, attacked uh, by the West um, at this particular point in time. Um, but anyway, good reason to talk about it regardless. Um, so this is an article by Chris Stokel Walker uh, via the New Statesman. Uh, it's called Banning TikTok or Bring on the Splinternet. Ooh, nice name for it. And it uh, sounds like something that already is going on, you know, but let's, let's see what the argument is. Because it's the first time I've heard of Splinternet. But if it's what I'm thinking of, then I feel like that's already been a case since, yeah, anyway. Back in December 2019, Russia announced the pl- a plan, the birth of the RUNET. <laughs> this cordoned off internet would allow the Kremlin to tighten its control over what Russians saw online, containing free speech and blocking certain Western sites and platforms. I had thought uh, then that the splinternet would be the sole preserve of authoritarian states like Russia and China, and that it would evolve installing the internet infrastructure equivalent of roadblocks in the cabling excuse me, that that connects our planet. To create a splinternet, a portmanteau of splintered internet, uh, would require significant technical know-how and plenty of infrastructural work. Three and a bit years on, I realised I was wrong. TikTok is being banned from government devices around the world, and other organisations, such as the BBC, are following suit. Representatives of the Chinese government are crying foul, claiming this is undue censorship. TikTok is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance. And we've talked about ByteDance before, and we've talked about what Douyin does. So, and uh, you know, if you if you if you spun that episode when way back when, you know, I do not fuck with any of this. This is not a, this is a non-start for me. All of this, anyway. Uh, but then again, I'm still on Instagram, so I can't say much. <coughs> uh, and that's kind of the argument, right? But anyway, uh, which is correct if hypocritical, given China's track record. Uh, the United States is seeking to go further, mooting a total ban on the app, supported by uh, major both major parties. 
doing something would be bizarre, not least because there remains uh, no evidence uh, that there are any security risks inherent in TikTok that aren't in any other app used daily, nor is there any proof that some of the more outlandish claims that the app is funneling data to Chinese spies in Beijing are anything other than subpar thriller fiction from, among others, the former military uh, man Ian Duncan Smith, uh, <laughs> didn't realise I'd see that name, uh, who has been waging a campaign against TikTok. That the BBC, which for its journalism has a high burden of proof that requires claims to have at least two sources, decided to follow the fiction is equally odd. Staff members there have told me they are angry about the demand to delete TikTok from their phones. You should want to delete anyway, and I know this is the this is it, okay. Let me let me just okay. Let me just try and read this, and because I I I feel like you're gonna know the points I'm gonna make. But let's just get it on. Let's just uh, let's just continue. But most of all, I like the way you move. Joke. Um, a pan a pan would set off a catastrophic tech-based function of version of uh, mutually assured destruction. The policy that kept superpowers from launching nuclear weapons against one another for decades in the 20th century. One expert in Chinese tech, who is no fan themselves of TikTok, they refuse to have it on their phones in case there's an undetected spy lingering somewhere in the smartphone, says they worry that will hap- uh, what will happen if the United States outright bans the app. They fear Twitter, Facebook and other platforms will disappear from Hong Kong, which is in a halfway house between freedom and autocracy. The impact of a tit-for-tat ban would be enormous. But it appears we're already on that path. By normalising the idea that certain bits of tech that for years uh, has been seen as acceptable are now simply not allowed to be used by politicians, even without evidence. The US, UK and European Union have set off the first skirmishes of a serious conflict. It can't be a coincidence that weeks after Western democracies banned TikTok from uh, official devices, Russia said its presidential administrative staff must stop using iPhones by 1st of April. Never announce things for the 1st of April. I'm sorry. It's just, this, is, this, is, this is crazy. Uh, <laughs> the split internet is happening. Bond devices and through apps rather than big infrastructure. And we'll all be the poorer for it. People spent years setting up the first internet link between the Soviet Union and the United States, seeing it as an important tool in bringing us closer together. Now, squabbles over who can use what and where are separating us. Living in parallel internets does does no one any good. Every day Russian and Chinese citizens are starved of impartial information and grow suspicious about Westerners and our motives. Meanwhile, we lose the ability to make the case for democracy to them. We should take heed of the low-level skirmishes that have already gone on and be wary of beginning open warfare. Okay, so my two points was that... um, Quite obviously, firstly, you know, they started it, right? <laughs> you know, Runet, whatever the Chinese have been doing in their internet for years. Uh, you know, you can't you can't search up Tiananmen Square anywhere on that on there. You know what I mean? They have their own alternatives to Google, to Twitter, all of that stuff, right? They've kind of done it already. Um, and I don't go on any I don't go on I don't go on Weibo, believe it or not, right? So in in some ways, to me, it feels like water off a duck's back. But I do get what Mister Stoker Walker is getting at. I get the I get the warfare element that is that may come from this. I do understand where he's coming from. And the other point I wanted to make, which is fairly obvious, you shouldn't want TikTok on your fucking phones anyway. Like it's just 
and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all of these social fucking networks are all fucking demonic, okay? They're all as demonic as each other. They're all as bad as each other. That's the that's the rub here, clearly. That's the rub, okay? Right, let's get that out of the way. That's the rub, okay? All social media is fucking toxic toxic as shit and it's all and it's all one big fucking data mine, okay? There's so much data that Instagram probably and Meta overall probably has on me that I'm not even fucking aware of. Same with Google, same with Microsoft, all of that shit. They all have fucking data on us, okay? And it's a piss take, right? So, you know, if TikTok gets banned, I don't fucking care. I'm just going to keep it real personally. I don't give a shit. It's water, uh, water off a duck's back when it comes to me, right? But that's me personally. Obviously, people stake their livelihoods on some of this shit. Some people have livelihoods they stake on Facebook. Don't know why you would, but there you go. Some people stake their lives on TikTok. Some people stake their lives on YouTube. Shit like this, okay? But the same span... Again, they started it. (laughs) They did. They did start it. But, yeah, I mean, it's just... um, Obviously, the world isn't... The world shouldn't be, let's just say that. The world shouldn't be as childish as that. And um, the fact that the UK and the European Union and the BBC are just like hopping on the US coattails and just going, oh, really? Dangerous? Oh, like, they're all fucking dangerous. Ban all social media. I'd rather that. Now, that won't fucking happen because for obvious reasons, especially in the US, right? Very obvious reasons why that's not going to happen. But it fucking should. That's probably the logical re- option here. But that's never going to happen because every because capitalism, because all that shit. You know the vibes. But yes, um, the concept of a splinter net um, is an interesting one. Um, I didn't. Uh, I, the the argument was pretty easy to make. It was pretty easy to see there, but the 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 ramifications of it. And I don't. And I don't really buy the last bit from Mr. Stoker Walker. I mean, yeah, if you're in Hong Kong, then sure. Yeah, you, you probably will suffer. Um, but, you know, I again, I don't go on Weibo. I don't go on whatever Chinese site, <laughs> social media site, or Chinese anything. I, I'm not that I'm aware of, right? Um, so... Again, water for ducks back. Oh no, you're gonna shut off Weibo to me. Oh, that's a shame. Oh gosh, but you know, and they don't use Facebook anyway. The majority of them. So in some ways, what's the beef? But the warfare element, the it'll probably lead to more policy shit, more political shit. The fact that it's getting into that kind of realm obviously is the issue here. So I get it, but personally, for me, nah, not sweating it at all. Let's talk about creativity, as I like to talk about now and again. Um, you know, I don't um, do much, uh, but I I don't have any superstitions or anything like that. Um, you know, I try and have a balanced diet and all that good shit. Um, and uh, you know, my creativity, as I'm sure most people's, um, fluctuates day by day. Uh, minute by minute, sometimes, right? It just um, it, it fluctuates. Sometimes you're in a in a flow state sometimes you're just uh 
You're just unable to do anything creative, right? Um, but obviously, there are some people that um, rely on stuff like drinking or just drugs in general, right? And uh, for those people, apparently, it doesn't work. Apparently, they don't make you more creative, according to this. This is via The Guardian. It's by Rachel Hall. Did you call drugs and alcohol do not make you more creative? Research finds. Um, but uh, yeah, like I've, I've, I mean, I've, I've been, I've been, I've written high one a uh, few times, right? And I don't know, it works, I guess. But I don't know, I don't know if it makes it better. I don't rely on being high to to write. Um, but obviously, some people do, as some of these examples will give you right off the bat. So let's jump right in. From Hunter S. Thompson's uh, infamous, infamously, infamous daily pre-writing routine of cocaine, Chivas Regal, and acid, to Vincent van Gogh's uh, love for absinthe and Andy Warhol's prescription drugs habit, the idea that drugs and alcohol produce great art is deeply culturally ingrained. Uh, deeply culturally ingrained? I don't, know. I don't think people are doing cocaine these days, but, you know, whatever. Maybe they are. Who knows? Uh, yet researchers have found uh, this is likely to be a myth. Many drugs, including alcohol, amphetamines, and sal- mushrooms, magic mushrooms. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying the fucking term. I, I don't know. Psilocybin? Psilocybin? Is that how you say it? I don't know. Magic mushrooms, basically. Do not inspire creativity. Instead, they say travel, exposure to culture, meditation, and training programs are more effective. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exposure to culture? Fuck yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, oh, I didn't even tell you. Oh, I went to an exhibition as well. I went to an exhibition. Oh gosh, I didn't even say that. Um, for the, I think it was on the day of Tig's Author. I went to Raven Row for the, uh, for the People Make Television. I did, I went to it. I, I, I talked about it a few, uh, I think like last, I think in February or January, um, during What's Good. So I did a segment on it. And uh, I went, I went, and it was absolutely amazing. It was very enlightening. The concept of open door just really fascinates me. And uh, I got a really good book um, from it, like a booklet of articles and other things um, to do with uh, the open door series uh, from the BBC back in the day and the community programming. Um, I actually want to read one of them for a long read. And um, so hopefully I get that down somehow because I've got a ton of long reads I want to do I may actually this is a major tangent um, for the show but um, I just want to say it now that I remember it I'm thinking of doing kind of like a long read deluxe episodes instead of regular episodes sometimes so instead of doing regular episodes I'll just do some long reads uh, maybe one or two well more than one uh, maybe two right as a healthy healthy medium maybe three depending on time um, if they take like 15 minutes, 20 minutes each, maybe I'll do three, but if it takes a like half an hour each, maybe I'll do two and, uh, just getting some, just get these long reads out because there are so many long reads I have in the chamber ready to go, ready to be read. And I just don't fucking make the time for them, but I really want to read these to you guys. And I really want you to listen to these fucking ideas and, uh, and, and, uh, just, uh, the stories and concepts. They're really fucking good. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I don't want them gathering dust on my phone, uh, digital dust anyway. Anyway, back to the show. <laughs> that major tangent. Let me know if you're into that long read deluxe idea. Um, and, uh, yeah, cause uh, I really want to do it. 
Dr. Paul Hannell uh, from the University of Essex's uh, Department of Psychology said, quote, it doesn't do anything for creativity. People don't benefit from it. It just has no effect at all. Uh, what we hear about in the media is people who successfully enhance their creativity using drugs, but you don't hear about the examples where someone took drugs and passed out and therefore their creativity, their creativity was lower. I mean, sure, yeah, definitely. The researchers from Essex University and Berlin's Humboldt University examined hundreds of papers to research their, reach their conclusions. An additional paper uh, published following their work found that people who took Magic mushrooms, not saying that. Cybin, psilocybin, uh, infamously popular for its creative effects in Silicon Valley, felt they were more creative while on the drug, but were actually underperforming relative to their sober state. Jennifer Harser, a uh, co-author of the paper at Humboldt University, said, quote, ideas generated under the influence often seem disjointed or ill-suited as in uh, solutions later on. Given the numerous side effects associated with drug use, it is scientifically unsound to recommend their consumption in pursuit of enhanced output, unquote. However, Hainel uh, acknowledged uh, that there may be some specific contexts in which drugs enhance creativity. For example, if you have a vision of on hallucinogenics and paint, a beautiful picture inspired by it. Many artists would beg to differ with the scientists' conclusions. Much of Harry Styles' latest album, Fine Line, was made while on Mushrooms which he said helped him to uh, helped him be, quote, fun and be creative, unquote. Electronic producer, producer, electronic producer John Hopkins said, quote, crazy cosmic experiences, unquote, of psychedelics were one of the primary inspirations for his latest album, which was structured to, structured to follow the build, peak and release of a hallucinogenic trip. Cadian singer-songwriter Light said it was constructive to paint all drugs with the same brush and instead carefully explore the benefits and downsides and the situations in which these might be helpful or harmful. She has been alternating between three months of microdosing uh, mushrooms and a three-month break to, quote, accelerate the development of positive pathways while doing meditative or creative things, unquote, which she finds helps her to be in a peaceful rather than depressive state. Quote, overall, I think most people find themselves to be more creatively efficient when they are able to retain and enjoy focus, unquote. But she thought the role of drugs in creating art was often romanticised when their misuse uh, often reflected mental health issues. The troubled artist has been far more appealing in the past than the idea of an artist with a healthy mind. Definitely. I agree with that. Uh, quote, definitely. Brian Saunders, an American artist who creates 50 self-portraits under the influence of drugs, including Valium and Lighter Fluid. Lighter Fluid? What? What, what do you mean? Drinking it? Huffing it? What, what, like, Lighter Fluid? <laughs> uh, okay. I, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, don't know what to say about that. Like, what we doing with that light fluid? Like, that's that's a bit well. I agree that taking care of your mental health was key. You developed brain damage during this, this experiment. No shit. Yeah, really, really. You did, you did light fluid. However, the fuck you do it, and you got brain damage. Oh wow, that's crazy. And now only takes drugs as prescribed to him by a doctor. No shit. Uh, quote, the main thing I learned was don't take too many different drugs at the same time too many days in a row, he said. Whoa, what a... Now, that's the that's the quote of the day. That's the quote of the day. Kids, don't, tra- don't take so many drugs at one time. Just don't do that. Dumbass. That's a really dumbass thing to do. I'm sorry. <laughs> but he appreciated the relationship between drugs and risk-taking, novelty and youth culture. Quote, 
Styling and a drawing or painting with perceptions of my changing phys uh, physical sensations has always seemed to give me great potential for creativity, especially when the drug is being taken for the first time, unquote. Rona Cran, uh, great name, uh, Associate Professor of American Literature at the University of Birmingham, Birmingham said uh, the romantic view of the artist addict stems from a, a reaction to socially conservative post-war culture and is increasingly a thing of the past. She researches beat writers and poets uh, and whose work uh, and lives were strongly associated with drugs such as marijuana, speed, heroin, and to a lesser extent, LSD. Quote, the counterculture of the 1960s and its prelude 1950s was also a drinking drugs culture, she said, with a cheap uh, with cheap rents enabling artists to spend their time socialising in New York bars, parties, and clubs, where connections were made, ideas shared, deals struck, collaborations germinated, unquote. That's what we're missing, man. I'm like low key. We're missing that kind of shit. Like, I, like just having a a village of artists, so to speak. You know what I mean? The fact that the Harlem Renaissance was just such a a melting pot of artistry, and everyone knew everybody. Like that that shit. That that really tight knit community. Like that's needed. That shit is so needed. Anyway, yeah, this concealed the addiction issues, crime, and premature deaths, of course, as well as the fact that it fostered an, quote-unquote, alienating and exclusionary atmosphere for many people, including women, fair enough, those from certain faiths or backgrounds, and people who needed steady jobs. There you go, there's that too. So there's the devil's advocate for what I just said. <laughs> uh, most writers of the 20th century were not alcohol drug addicts, she said, uh, yet the cultural fixation with narcotic inspiration reflects how, quote, drinking and drug-taking were certainly celebrated and romanticised Unquote, from the cafe culture of 1920s Paris to the 60s counterculture and the punk scene in the 1970s and 80s. Quote, Speed gave Joe Brainard uh, the energy to make a lot of art in a short space of time, drinking enabled Frank O'Hara to be the chatty poet whose work is still read and loved today, William Burroughs, a lifelong heroin addict, uh, forged the entirety of his career as a writer in relation to his drug use, he said. She said. But, she added, that this narrative ignored the fact that many came to a grisly end. Burroughs shot his wife during a drunken game of William Tell. O'Hara was unable to survive his injuries after being hit by a vehicle in 1966 because his liver was so enlarged. Ernest Hemingway shot himself and Jack Kerouac uh, died in his 40s of cirrhosis. Um, there's also, um, I'm not going to read these, um, but there's a couple of uh, kind of examples, I guess, uh, of uh, people who you know, did shit. Um, the Beatles, most notably. Um, obviously, did marijuana a lot of the time. Andy Warhol, um, addicted to Obertrol, marketed today as Adderall. Um, Hunter S. Thompson, who was mentioned, and also Amadeo uh, Modig Modigliani as well. So if you want to jump into those examples, go feel free, but um, I'm going to continue on. And yeah, um, you know, I've come home, I've, I've walked home higher, right? And when I do that, sometimes I get these, I do get really fleshed out ideas in my head. Um, now, I don't write things down. And that's kind of an, that's kind of a, a, um, a, a thing that I put myself, a mental task that I put myself through of like, if this is so good, I'm going to remember it, you know? Like if, if this is if I remember this a year from now, then it's worth from then it's worth doing. That's basically the filter I give myself because you know there's a lot of ideas that you know sound cool, and when I'm high, definitely they sound great, right? I was like, oh my god, oh, god this be so good, oh, oh this be so good, right? But then you know you calm down, you you wake up the next day, and you're just like, yeah, 
So hey, it's a cool idea, I guess. I, I might, I might pursue, I might not. You know. What I mean? So you know, that's what weed specifically does for me. Um, but you know, I don't. I've, I haven't done anything harder than that. You know, I've done coke, I haven't done LSD or nothing like that. So I wouldn't know, and I don't really want to know because um, you know, I've tr- I've tried to I've tried to write drunk. Horrible, horrible experience. Don't like it. Never understood it. I cannot write drunk. Like there's just. Any drink in me, like I'm, I'm purposefully not trying to write. Like it's just, it's just not going to happen for me. Not my steez. Weed, I'd give it a go. I've done it before, and I'm probably not productive, um, in the in 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 the usual sense. Um, but I get interesting ideas at least. Um, so there's that. So if it's a purely from a brainstorming perspective, I'd happily get some weed in and just like you know, just brainstorm some ideas, write some shit on a whiteboard quite literally throwing shit on the wall uh, well quite figuratively throwing shit on the wall and seeing what sticks um, but past that nah, nah it's, not, it's not I'm not I'm not too wedded to um, writing high or any of that kind of stuff So we finish up on the second life segment, and uh, this is all about your purpose. Um, I've kind of talked about this before loosely uh, when it came to like, uh, you know, similar to finding your photography niche and stuff like that, right? I've talked about that before. But this is obviously more to the nose, to the point of uh, what purpose is. Um, so, you know, I ask myself, what am I as a photographer? What, what am I? You know, what, what do I do? And I, don't, I haven't found really a purpose so to speak, you know, I, I take pictures of sh- at shows, but you know, when the weather's good, I like to take pictures of, you know, landscapes and, uh, you know, trees and shit. So those are completely different. Right. And sometimes I take, <clears throat> sometimes I take portraits of, uh, of, you know, my friends and stuff and, uh, and, uh, you know, places I'm at with friends and that. So it's different. It's different from every, um, situation I'm in. Um, I like to take my camera as much as possible, but you know I don't seek to find a niche on that front. I haven't found my photographic purpose, so to speak. But your life purpose now—that's something I found literally over ten years ago. Now um, I've probably told this story before, but um, I, I when I after I found maths and English um, in GCSE, uh, which is around the time of um, you know fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and well fourteen, fifteen, um, on to sixteen. Uh, I basically had to retake maths and English uh, for a year amongst another amongst a couple of other subjects that didn't really mean much to me. Um, but those are the main ones, right? Me to get those get that C grade for maths and English. Um, and I had a lot of time on my hands uh, because I passed English a couple a few months later, and then I just had I just obviously didn't do those lessons anymore. So I had like bunt, I had just crazy. I just had my timetable was so sick. I just had like. Sometimes I had like two days with like two lessons out of five. It's crazy. Like I do two, I do two lessons and I'm I'm home by lunchtime. Shit like that. It's crazy. Um, and I found my purpose out of all of that. I I, I experimented. I tried writing. I I did some blog writing. Wrote about the NBA and then I did some screenwriting. And I really enjoyed the screenwriting part. And I just kept going at it. And I kept doing it. And uh, and here I am right now as a screenwriter with uh. Um, I checked a portfolio of over forty of forty scripts. I have forty scripts that I have worked on personally or have collaborated on in my 
in my portfolio. So that's um, and that, and that, and I only had to write a duet the program I work on, the software I work on. I've only had that for seven years out of the te- out of the ten that I've had my purpose, so to speak. So uh, anyway, um, we're getting into the topic of purpose here. If you haven't clocked already. Um, and this is all about how to foster your purpose wherever you are in life. That's what it's called. Uh, it's via Vox, and it's by Ali Volp or Volpe. Um, and yeah, I just, I just really, I, 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 I don't feel like I don't know how to word it. I feel bad for people, put for lack of a better phrase, I feel bad for people that haven't found their purpose um, because I found mine very early. I feel like very early on in life, um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, finding finding it in my teenage years was just so important for me, and uh, I really just I found focus. I found when I found purpose, I found also focus, and I wanted to achieve in things. You know, what I mean, I didn't have that before. Uh, before I was just you know just vibing life, and I still do vibe life in some fashion. Um, I wake up and I'm like, what am I doing today? You know, I I literally operate off that most of the time. But um, anyway, enough uh, enough uh, teeing up. Let's get into this and try help you find your purpose. Hopefully, <sighs> it might have been a minute since you paused to consider your life life's purpose, if you ever have at all. It could be an overwhelming question, lofty and existential, and according to the people who study it, one that is frequently misunderstood. Purpose is conflated with lots of other words, says William Damon, a professor of education at Stanford University, like meaning and passion. Purpose, however, is something different. It's broader than a goal, but it's the guiding motivation that gives your life a sense of direction. According to Damon, a life purpose has three components. It's a long-term calling, act, or way of life uh, that interests you. It's something you have some competence in, and it makes a marginal difference in the world. Striving to be the best parent you can is a purpose, and I know a lot of people that have that, that didn't have a purpose before, and then they had a kid, and now they have purpose. To raise that kid, right? And to to make that person the best person they can be. Um, and I respect that. Raising kids to become caring, respectful and happy adults is your way of making a material impact. There you go. Whereas wanting to make a lot of money with the sole intention of satisfying every whim is not. It's also common to have multiple purposes in life, Damon says. Your faith, your family, satisfaction you get from your job are all common sources. Considering your purpose may seem like a project for the privilege you must have enough time and money to seriously consider your values. However, purpose can relate to practical matters such as keeping your family safe as well as the broader contours of your interests. You can work towards a purp- your purpose in incremental ways without sacrificing resources. If you struggle to define your purpose to clearly articulate the thing or things you excel in that also leaves a mark on society. Don't fret. In his 20 years of research on life purpose, Damon finds most people falter for a bit before landing on the activity that lights their fire. About a quarter of participants in almost all of his studies did not have a purpose, he says. But gradually, he adds, over time, people do become more purposeful. Quote, Of all the things I've studied in terms of capacities and skills that young people develop, Damon says, purpose is the slowest one because it doesn't really come to fruition until, uh, for most people until the late 20s, early 30s. Unquote. See, I'm ahead of the game on that front, and that's why that's why I felt very I felt privileged to have that because um, it really it really changed my life honestly just to find that purpose. And I kind of tripped up on it anyway. Purpose isn't fixed either. As your life and values change, your purpose may too. Throughout their lifespan, people's purpose shifts. Uh, people's purpose shifts according to their circumstances. Uh, those parents who found purpose in rearing their children may feel untethered 
and without meaning uh, once they become empty nesters. Or an adult in their 40s may realise their creative hobby brings joy to an audience bound there in in a circle and decide to devote their time to sharing their talents. Having a purpose in life isn't simply a fanciful pursuit. Researchers found that having a purpose can prolong life, reduce depressive symptoms and improve life satisfaction. Whether you're faltering or flourishing, you can cultivate a purpose or align your interests to live more purposefully. All it takes is some mining of the soul. So, how do you cultivate your pur- cultivate your purpose? Uh, thinking as broadly as possible, ask yourself some potentially challenging questions. What do you care about? What do you hope to accomplish? What difference do you want to make? What do you have to offer? What skills do you have that support the issues you're passionate about? It's an ongoing pro- this is a quote. It's an ongoing process of reflecting on the things that you want to address in life, in your life the things you want to accomplish or make progress towards in your life and thinking about what you can uniquely contribute to that issue, says Kendall Cotton Bronk, a professor of psychology at Claremont Graduate University. And it doesn't happen overnight, unquote. As counterintuitive as it may sound, purpose shouldn't be something achievable, says Patrick Hill, an associate professor of psychological and brain sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Goals, even long-term ones, are still more short-term than purpose, which is a lifelong framework under which to organise those goals. Hill says, quote, If your purpose in life was to perform on Broadway, and the first time you perform on Broadway, you succeeded, he says, uh, then it's like, what do I do now? Instead, take that specific goal, such as performing on Broadway, and think bigger. Instead, your purpose may be to share unique and diverse stories with a wider audience. In a 2010 study, Hill developed four categories of life purposes, Creative, pro-social, financial, and personal recognition. For example, people with creative purposes are fulfilled by various artistic pursuits throughout their lives. Performing in school plays as a kid, writing for the college newspaper, or pursuing a career as a copywriter. This is me, by the way. This is definitely me. Like, photography, screenwriting, uh, shit, even podcasting in some ways. Like, that's that's me right there. Uh, but I do have a, a larger purpose within uh, all of it. Um, so, it's interesting. Anyway. Pro-socially focused people have uh, goals on helping others. People with financial purposes, and that's another one, pro-social, I feel like I have another one there. Like my my bigger purpose is to at some point help others, um, help others find their creative purpose actually, funny enough. Um, So it's interesting how that works. Uh, Financial uh, purposes are motivated by economic well-being and personal recognition uh, orientation is uh, marked by a desire for respect from colleagues and peers. Yeah, no. I don't care about that. While the means of living out your purpose changes depending on your age and circumstances, he'll found the same that the same motivation drives you. Quote, wherever your purpose in life is, you're probably going to pursue it and progress towards it in different ways across the lifespan, Hill says. Which doesn't necessarily mean your purpose has changed, but the way that you engage with it uh, engage with it changed. Unquote. One of Hill's recent studies outlined three ways people nurture their purpose. Some are proactive in their quest. They define a goal to meet others, for example, and work towards achieving it. Others stumble into their raison d'etre, which is basically another word for purpose, um, and upon deeper reflection, realize their actions have been serving their purpose all along. People also take inspiration from their peers and attempt to pursue a passion in the same manner. While these frameworks are necessarily prescriptive, necessarily prescriptive in nature, Cotton Bronx says intentional thinking may lead you down one of these paths of discovery. One of the most common ways of living out purpose is through work. This is inherently a bad thing. When people pursue their passions, they tend to end up in jobs they enjoy and give them meaning. But 
because American society values uh, work above uh, values work above leisure, art, and community, and it's the same in the UK as well. <clears throat> people tend to lose themselves in labour. Quote: If your job is your sole source of meaning and identity, and you lose it, what's left? Said Simone Stolzoff, author of the forthcoming book *The Good Enough Job: Reclaiming Life from Work*. Nice title. Untangling work from purpose can be difficult. For instance, if your purpose is to support your family, working an unfulfilling yet well-paying job is still meeting your purpose. Damon says uh, you should never feel ashamed for trying to get by. uh, But if you can try to foster purpose during non-working hours, uh, Stolzoff stresses uh, the importance of engaging in meaningful activities outside of work. Uh, coffee dates with friends, tending to a community garden, playing on recreational sports leagues, exploring your faith. Regardless if your job gives you purpose or if it's simply a way of funding the rest of your life, uh, yeah, funding the rest of your life, you can meet your need for passion, which is not the same as purpose, but is good to have. Outside of work is uh, through enjoyable uh, hobbies like reading, knitting, or playing music, all energizing activities, but ones you do for yourself and not for the greater good. It is possible to tie your job to a greater purpose. In a study of cleaners in hospital, those who saw themselves as integral to patients' healing processes, a process found more meaning in their jobs than those who did not. Quote, connecting what you do to a greater sense of why can often make the daily task and the fluctuations of your job more pleasurable, uh, Stolzov says. Just be clear about why you care about what you're doing and how those values are reflected in your behaviours and how you choose to spend your time, unquote. Because many people do find purpose in their work, retirement or periods of unemployment can be unmooring. During this phase of life, think back on the core purpose of your job fulfilled, perhaps educating people, and find ways to achieve that elsewhere. Damon says, uh, like uh, substitute teaching, babysitting or babysitting grandchildren, or volunteering at a youth organisation. So how do you nurture purpose when life is always changing? If you're in the middle of a major move in an unfulfilling job or dealing with uh, new circumstances like parenthood or retirement, living purposefully can seem like a daunting task. Hill recommends paying attention to the activities in your day-to-day life that motivate you, excite you, or make you feel goal-oriented. Uh, quote, organize your life in a way uh, that allows, you, allows for you to make those things more habitual, Hill says. Ultimately, that can be a way to help people think about developing a purpose from the ground up eventually. Unquote. If you struggle to identify anything that enlivens you at work or home, take it as a sign that you may not have purpose in this domain. Hill says you shouldn't. Uh, Hill says you shouldn't quit your job if you uh, find no excitement in it. Uh, but how can you manufacture motivation in other areas of your life? Maybe that means joining an activist organization that fights for systemic change or teaching piano lessons to neighbor kids. Since purpose tends to materialize well into adulthood. Uh, Damon suggests looking back on previous moments in your life when you had a sense of fulfillment. When you were captain of a basketball team, when you helped uh, helped a lost tourist find their hotel, when you tutored your cousin in math. Quote, it gives them clues about the kinds of experiences that offer them this satisfaction and what they're capable of, uh, Damon says. How can you recreate these circumstances where you thrive within your current life? Clearly defining the areas uh, to find the areas where you make the most impact can be difficult. Enlisting the help of trusted friends or loved ones gives you an objective view of your strengths, Cotton Bronx says. Try asking five people, mentors, colleagues, friends and family. Three questions she, ju- she, she suggests. What do you think I do particularly well? What do you think I really enjoy doing? And how do you think I will leave my mark? 
Often, those in your inner circle can more easily identify your talents and passions than you can. Cultivating a purpose and marching on the path of progress looks different for everyone. What you value and excel in will be unique to you and the various uh, seasons of your life. Just make sure your purpose is what matters to you. Quote, the important part is that you're actively choosing, Stolzov says. Opposed to, as is, all of, as is all too often the case, inheriting the values of the institutions that we're a part of. We start climbing ladders that we don't actually want to be on, or playing games we don't actually want to win, because we haven't taken the time to critically think about what is it that I actually value, unquote. All right. That was really good. That was a really good um, article. I actually might just save it for whenever I'm uh, feeling, I don't know, just wayward because um, I like those questions that, are, that the you would ask you in a circle. I don't know if I'd do that, but um, there were some really good questions in there to ask yourself. Um, so have you got something from that? And uh, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. From the 5th End Podcast Network, can't be tired telling this been most good. Can't believe I did this under 70 minutes. <laughs> Intro music was... Too much by vanilla. Thanks to Chill Music for the busy track. You can find both their links in the full show notes. And thanks to Nappy High for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find here's the link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. Think about the long read deluxe idea for me. <laughs> and until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.